Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. 1 John chapter number 2 We'll be in verses 24 through 28 today. If you want to stand as we honor God's word as absolute truth, we believe it is true uh, from beginning to end and worthy of honor. Thank God we have a copy or two or 20 that we can read in our own language and know the God of the Bible. John is writing to church the church, believers, and he says, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and the Son in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. That's a good time for even a Presbyterian to say amen. These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce or deceive you, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you need not, you don't need that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. And now, little children... Believers, members of the family of God, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we, those of us abiding in him, may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Father, we ask you to bless your word today. Open our hearts, open our ears to hear not from a man, not from a preacher, but from you. We believe the word we have read is inspired by you, absolutely true. No man can change it. No man can change the principles that are taught. And I pray again, if there's a person here today who isn't sure who isn't confident that they're abiding in you, that today would be the day they realize their need for a Savior and trust in Jesus. For those of us who are abiding, those of us who know that we know, God, that we remain true to your word, especially in these last days. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. If it's not clear after reading just that text, the message today is once again under the umbrella of the series, if you will, of authentic Christianity, and today it's abiding in Christ. We are encouraged, we are exhorted, we are commanded as believers, to abide in Christ. 
John is writing, and I've told you this for several weeks now, with a purpose in mind. It's found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, where John says, These things have I written unto you, church, believers, those of us who are born again and know it. I'm writing these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And I've said it before, and I think I'll continue to say it, not just in preaching, but in living. There's no greater peace that comes apart from knowing that you're born again, you have peace with God, you have peace of God. Knowing that you're born again, knowing that you're on your way to heaven. He said in the first chapter in verse 4, these things I write unto you that your joy may be full, that it may be complete. And that's God's desire for every Christian. God has no desire, and I think I can say this with absolute certainty and authority, God has no desire for a man or woman to be claiming to be Christian and unsure of their salvation. You are the weakest professing believer if you're not sure that you're saved. And churches are full. America is full of people walking around saying I'm Christian, saying I'm going to heaven when I die, but they're not sure. They think that's the right Sunday school answer. And I believe God has put it in every man's heart that they want to know him. I believe God has revealed it through man that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I believe every person, even the Antichrist who rejects God, who rejects that Jesus even exists, knows in the deepest recesses of their hearts that there is an eternity. God says in his word, I want you to know that you're born again. Now in this text, it becomes clear that John has a desire, God has a desire that we abide in him. Now, if I'm going to be honest, that sounds like good church language, abide in him. We don't usually say that very often in, in the common vernacular, that I will be abiding in the workplace tomorrow, but, um, or today we are abiding in church. But John says that God's desire is that we abide in him. So the question really ought to be, well, what, what does that look like? What does that sound like to abide in Christ? And John, who is writing the book of John, the letter that we call Second or First John, understanding that he was an eyewitness of Jesus and his teachings. And in John chapter 15, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus gives a very clear lesson on what it means to abide in him. Keep in mind, John is on the sidelines of this message in John chapter 15, and he hears with his own ears, he sees with his own eyes, Jesus teaching what it means to abide in him. In John chapter 15, I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus says, how often we hear abide or remain or continue in him. I am the, I am the true vine, he says, and my father is the husbandman or the gardener. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruits, he purges, that it may bring forth more fruit. 
Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Jesus' teaching says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. It's important for us to understand as a believer, we can do nothing worthwhile for the cause of Christ apart from him. A few weeks ago, we were in Romans and on Wednesday night, and uh, Paul is very clear to teach. Yeah, we can do good things. A lost person can do good things. There are lost billionaires given millions and millions of dollars to good causes and useless causes, for that matter. But we as a believer can do nothing worthwhile apart from Christ. Nothing that gives God ultimate glory apart from Christ. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. If a man abides not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. But if you abide in me, listen, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and you shall be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in me, or in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things, Jesus speaking, have I spoken unto you, this is going to sound familiar, John heard it, that your joy may be full. John plagiarized Jesus. We thought he was being quite the theologian when he said, I'm writing these things that your joy may be complete. But he had heard with his own ears, he had seen Jesus teach. These things I'm saying to you, these things I'm telling you, Jesus said, that your joy may be full, that my joy might remain in you. And your joy, my joy, the believer's joy is only full when we abide in Christ. As I said earlier, that word abide means to remain or to continue. There's quite a deep theological truth that we may touch on this morning if you're capable of handling it, but based on your looks, I'm not really sure what's going on this morning. I feel like I need a mirror. I wish I, wish I could just take a picture sometimes, like a panoramic, and then throw it up on the screen. Can we do that, Tim? I can't see. I want you to see what you look like this morning. I'm like, am I fatter than I have been since last Sunday? What's going on? Are you amazed at my physique? I'm not sure. So weird. So what does abiding in Christ look like? It means, or it looks as if we are, or that we are allowing his word to fill our minds, direct our will, and transform our affections. That's what abiding in Christ looks like. So here in John's first letter to the church, I want to look at a few points here that John makes very clear in these verses of what authentic Christians who are abiding in Christ, what it looks like. And first thing we see in verse number 24 is that those who are abiding in Christ are 
abide in his word. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. Let that message that you have heard from the beginning abide in you. What was the message that John's readers had heard from the beginning? It was the very message of Jesus. Many of them who John is writing to had heard from Jesus. They heard Jesus themselves. Many potentially were sons, daughters, granddaughters, grandsons of grandparents who had heard from Jesus. This is not thousands of years removed from Jesus speaking. And he's saying, let that remain in you that you've heard from the beginning, the words of Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you. I know this might get old to some of you, but what we're reading right now and what we read in this New Testament are the things that have been seen and have heard, have been heard. We are to abide in his word. We're to remain in his word. In 2 John chapter 6, he says, and this is love that we walk not after his walk after his commandments, this is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. John had heard from Jesus. In John chapter three, this is, this is, what, Je- this is what John saw and what John heard. Jesus said to the Jews which, were, which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How about this, John 14? If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. Do the things that I say. Do the things you have heard me say from the very beginning. He that has my commandments and keeps them. Listen to Jesus over and over in John 14 to the disciples and keeps them. He that is he that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What a powerful verse of Scripture in John 14, 21, that he tells the believer, if we abide or if we keep his commandments, he will manifest himself to us. It's going to sound a little off topic, but what the church in America needs today is a manifestation of Jesus. We've got a lot of manifestations of men a lot of manifestations of methods. We've got a lot of manifestations of theatrics. But what the church in America needs is a manifestation of Jesus. Now, how does that happen? I'm gonna get a little preachy, everybody relax. We're all good here. This is a perfect church if you're visiting. We don't have this problem. But why is there no manifestation of Jesus in churches today, in some churches today? because there's no abiding in his word. I'm gonna gonna tell you this, you may believe it or you may not. We can pack this place out if we want to. We talked about this among the staff. I've talked to it with Pastor Justin many times. We see eye to eye on some of this where we're talking about big crowds versus discipleship. We can pack this place out Matter of fact, I was in a phone conversation this week about a potential guest speaker. And uh, if we get this guest speaker, we will pack this place out. Now you're wondering who. 
Take your mind off of that for a second. It's not Donald Trump, all right? <laughs> Close, no, no, kind of. So I'm calling him the black Donald Trump, but that's a different story. Um, and there'll be some hooping and hollering, and there might even be an amen. But unless the speaker opens up the word of God, and unless the church of God abides in the word of God, there will be no manifestation of God. What changes a man or woman's heart and mind? As much as we'd like to think we're powerful enough as men and women to change people and persuade people, nothing will change people's minds like a manifestation of Jesus. And he says if you abide in his word, he will manifest himself. Over and over, and I got verse after verse of Jesus saying, abide in me, remain in me. Let this message abide in you. And here John says, church, believers, let the message therefore abide in you. Continue in this word. Abiding in the message of Jesus has some results. In the latter part of verse 24, he says, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, then you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. It's a powerful if-then statement here in verse 24. And it gets into some theology, it gets into some doctrine, and it gets into some potential questions, but I don't think they're questions that can't be easily answered. If a person who claims to know Jesus who really does know Jesus, abides in his word, continues in his word, he shall remain, he shall continue in the Son and in the Father. In the, in the theological world, we like to talk about perseverance, those who persevere until the end. And sometimes that word scares some people because it's part of one of the letters, of five letters that scare people off. But persevering or the perseverance of the saints is biblical. It's biblical. It's not, it's not, perseverance is not, everybody here, everybody with me? Perseverance is not that you started, that God started something and you've got to finish it. That's not what persevering means. And Jesus is teaching. And Jesus taught in Matthew 24, but he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. Did I scare people? This truth speaks to the reality of the security of the believer's salvation. If you've been saved, it's secure. Not because you gotta keep it. Persevering of the believer doesn't mean that God started something and you gotta keep up your end of the deal. It means that God did something, God's doing something, and God's gonna do something. It's all about him. And he says, John says, those who continue in his word, remain in his word, shall continue until the end. I, I hope if we paid attention the last couple weeks, what John is teaching here is a direct contrast to another group of people. Y'all remember me reading often and continuing the streak, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, 
they would no doubt have, here's the word, continued with us, remained with us, abound. Uh, they would abide in his word. They would abide in the truth. They would have continued, but they went out from us that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. John is giving to the church, to the believer, a contrast of two individuals. The man, the woman who stays true to the word of God, remains, abides in the word of God, trusts in the word of God versus the crowd that says, no, I don't believe that anymore. Uh, some of you know I like Adrian Rogers and sometimes I like to share his sermon tidbits because he speaks kind of says things I'd like to say, but I'd probably get in trouble if I said it, so I'll let him say it. But he said this, and if you know it, not that you know him, but if you knew of Adrian Rogers, this will make good sense. He said, the faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. <laughs> and that's exactly who, Paul's talk, who John's talking about. They had a problem from the beginning. They never really were born again. If you don't know this, I'm a Baptist, which is good to be the pastor of a Baptist church. That's kind of a criteria. But I'm a biblical Baptist where I believe the Bible teaches that if you've ever been born again, you're not going to lose it. Because it's all about him. Matter of fact, Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession for us, holding us, keeping us saved and secure. And I, I don't know if anybody's told you lately, but he is alive and alive forevermore. And he's not going away and he's not going to stop praying. He's not going to keep, keep, stop holding us. And so John here says, hey, church, guess what? He didn't really say it that way. He says, continue. I thought about maybe this being the only point and let's go home early, but we started early, so I'm good, but I'd like to end on a high note, and this would be a good high note, but the encouragement and the exhortation to the church today, to Central Baptist Church, and to really every Bible-believing church, and the words in that phrase, is to continue in this word. John has talked about antichrist, false professors, false teachers, who will come. Church, wake up. We're surrounded by them. Last week, I had a page and a half of notes that I included into this week because I didn't get to it. And it was informative, it was information that would, to wake us up to the religions, to the cults that we are inundated with in American culture. And they are antichrist. By nature, they are anti-Christ. They are anti-Jesus. They do not preach, teach, believe what this book says about Jesus. And, and you're, maybe if you're wondering, which ones are you talking about? All of them. I, I really do have all the notes, and I don't have time. But it's the ones that you work with. It's the friends that you have. And they're part of this and they're part of that. I walked out of the hospital uh, the other day. Matter of fact, when I, when I left uh, Rob and his family after his dad passed and we were walking out and me and an, another 
a pastor from where Ray went to church. And um, these two ladies, and, and it was kind of comical, but kind of not. And um, Rob, I, I know you'll appreciate this, so there's no... But we, we, we get on the elevator, and there were two ladies, and um, they're like, y'all look like preachers. And I was like, well, maybe we are. And, um, and they said, right before we got off, they said, well, I'm sure whoever you came to see was glad to see you. And uh, I said, well, he died. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, and they're like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Well, we're Jehovah's Witness. And she came up, and I was like, well, do you have any material on you? I'm interested. No, I didn't say that. But they were there propagating their antichrist religion. And I don't say that to get an amen. I say that because we're surrounded and our kids go to school with Jehovah's Witness and you work with Jehovah's Witness and they don't believe, teach what the Bible says about Jesus. And the Mormons don't either. And the Buddhists don't either. And the Hindus don't either. And the Muslims don't either. Now I gotta show my age and let's just all wake up. If we would have said that 25 years ago, in the Baptist church, they had probably been an amen, but there would have probably been, if we're honest, there would have probably been some, some thoughts like, why is he talking about those people? Everybody with me? And then you wake up today and you go to work with them every day. And I'm not calling them out and I'm not demeaning or degrading. I'm, I'm calling out what the word of God says about who Jesus is. And you can't abide in a Jesus that doesn't agree with scripture. By the way, there's no teaching of abiding in Jesus in any of those cults or religions I just mentioned. So today it's practical. 50 years ago, it wouldn't have been said in a Baptist church because there would have been a lie we won't tell people about the Buddhist. We thought Buddhist was something we saw in a cartoon potentially. Honestly, but today, our kids go to school with Buddhists. And I'm not, hitting, I'm not hating on Buddhists. Everybody understand? I'm not saying it. But we can't be deceived because he's writing to those who are being deceived and those who will be deceived by Antichrist. Antichrists have always been around. They just change how they look. He was writing to those in, in the face of Antichrist religions 2,000 years ago. But it's still applicable to today because we have a different flavor of antichrist and they're all at our fingertips and disposal and the temptation is to give in he said no 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 i would like to find the stat but i can't find it but i'm sure there are stats that show how many professing believers you you believe this or not throw this part out if you don't like it who left Bible-believing Baptist churches and joined one of these cults I just mentioned. We're not talking about handfuls. We're talking about truckloads. Now, there's a couple reasons why, and I don't want to get into all that because you don't care. But one of the reasons is because we've allowed a lie to creep in to, quite honestly, our culture and our country that all roads lead to heaven. Some of you know I'm not lying because you, you've got friends, you've got family members 
who used to say, amen, brother, and now they're a part of a cult, a part of an antichrist religion, who don't believe and teach what this book says about it. Oh, I mean, you used to could call, I don't know if they do it today with Bidenomics, but you used to could call the Mormon line and they'd send you a King James Bible and the Book of Mormon. That's a pretty good deal. Now, if you, I don't know if they do that anymore. It's probably, it's probably slimmed down. It's not the size it used to be. Anybody appreciate that? Y'all check your potato chips now to make sure they're all in there? Anybody bought a chocolate bar off a kid for a dollar lately? <laughs> Boy, they ain't what they used to be. Whatever the Republican presidential candidate is ought to have that on their political stump speeches. This is what happened to our country under Joe Biden. And they took away the Pizza Hut coupon on top of it. The true church, the true believer, will continue, will abide, will remain true to this book. The word of God. The word that was spoken from the beginning that hasn't changed and will never change. As much as we want it to change sometimes. As much as we would like for it to change. To make our flesh a little more comfortable. Everybody stopped. All of us, see how that stopped like that? Man, I wish I could do this. But Jesus said no. Not only are we influenced by, oppressed by, however you want to term it, other religions, other antichrist movements, the practical reality is that we're all influenced by non-biblical theories opinions that are contrary to the word of God. What do we do? This is where it gets serious and practical. What do we do? Well, I work in a, a pagan, is it all right to say pagan? That sounds mean, but I don't work for a Christian organization, right? Well, what do I do? I don't go to school at a Christian school. Well, good. The Christian schools are devils too. I've been there. The kids are devils. I didn't say the Christian school. Everybody. So what do I do? Fifth grader, sixth grader, middle schooler, when I'm confronted with evolution. I remain. I abide in the truth. In the word. That's so simple. It is. It is. Yeah, I'll listen. I'll take notes. I'll get my I'll pass my grade. But I'm gonna abide in the truth. What do we do? Y'all ready for this? What do we do when it seems all right, even in the church? I expect a pagan antichrist government to legislate sin. That's, I expect that. 
What do we do when the government says it's all right for men to marry men and women marry women? Well, we say, well, they're, they're anti-Christ anyway. They don't know God. They don't know any better. But what do we do when our friends and our family, or what do we do when other churches start marrying men and men and women and women? We abide in the truth. We don't agree with it. And when they say why, we say because God said a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to a woman. And there's still a difference. And when they say, well, you don't know the difference because people have different opinions now about what gender is. And you say, well, that's way off topic. No, we remain in the truth. And we say, no, in the beginning, God created male and female. Well, that's what you believe. That's a good response. You're exactly right. That is what I believe. People get nervous with the arguments. Well, that's, that might be true for you. Well, you're right, it is. Amen. Where do you go from there? What do you do when professing Bible-believing churches start ordaining women? You, uh, we abide in the truth. So I didn't know that was an issue today. Well, it is in Baptist churches. And fortunately, we've got some conservative leadership that are kicking them out. That sounds mean. No, because we don't want anybody who claims to be Bible-believing Baptists doing what the Bible says not to do. It's simple. We make it complicated. Well, that's mean you shouldn't kick people out. No, you're reading headlines from some antichrist writer who wants to demean the church. Well, here, here, guess what? What we're seeing is, let me skip back up. God is so smart. Verse 19, they came out from us, but they were not of us. We're seeing it happen. And it will continue to happen. We are those of us who abide in Christ, abide in his word. Verse 25, they, we also acknowledge his promise. Verse 25, he says, and this is the promise that he has promised us even eternal life. There's a lot of preaching here, but I took too much time on the first one, but isn't it safe to say when God makes a promise, we can count on it? In the Old Testament, Genesis, God promised Abraham, who was old, and his wife, who had, was old too, will make you a great nation. How could this possibly happen, God? And so they went out and did it on their own. Well, we'll help God out. God didn't know what he's talking about. I mean, he, he's not able. So they start working on it themselves, mess it all up. And we're all suffering the consequences from, this, from that day to this day. Well, God says, no, I'm going to give you a son with that old wife. And guess what? He did. Because when God makes a promise that I'll make you a great nation, he keeps the promise. And over and over in Scripture, we see God make promises. Here's one that may, may all just encourage you today. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 
There's people in this room today that ought to be able to at least amen in the quiet recesses of their heart that God has met your needs. And that's what he's talking about. Because when he says, if you seek me first, I'll take care of your needs, that's a promise. And if you're here today and you're saying, well, God hasn't kept up his part of the deal, I I'm sorry to inform you, no, you didn't keep up your part of the deal. You haven't sought him first in everything because he promised if you do, he'll take care of it. You'll have food. You'll have shelter. You'll have clothing. He'll take care of you if you seek him first. And here he says, this is the promise that he's promised us, even eternal life. I got spare time, so I looked up what eternal looks like in the Greek. It pretty much means eternal, if you hadn't figured that out. I, I like this, it, an unlimited duration. I've thought at times I've been in eternal lines <laughs> and thought for sure they were unlimitedly in duration. I don't know. My wife giggled just now because she knows how patient I am and how. <laughs> and just because it's been kind of heavy so far, if, if you know you're going to the drive through Get your order together before you get up there. <laughs> if I get my kids in the car and they can amen this, you awake, they can amen this. If we're going down the interstate and we're going to Chick-fil-A, they're going to know before we get to Chick-fil-A, I'm going to say, what you got? Now, Brooks is my favorite son. <laughs> and I know what, he's, he's like me, he's not going to change it up. Why change it up? It's been good from the start, don't change it up now. So I got him. She's getting like that too. But I don't know anything, and there's a lot that bothers me. And we get in front, and they act like they've never been to McDonald's in their life. The people in front of you. It's always the car in front of you, right? It hadn't changed in forever. Get it together. It's eternal. And God has promised us eternal life. An unlimited duration. When Paul write, wrote, he often used some similar phrases, and, and I like when he wrote to Titus in chapter one. Listen to how he introduces himself. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement or the acknowledging of the true which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. What an introduction. God can't lie. He hasn't lied, and he's not going to lie. And he says he has promised us eternal life. So the born-again Christian, the authentic Christian, the, the child of God that's abiding in Christ has a blessed hope, a promise of eternal life. Jesus said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again. 
to where I am, eternal life. You may be also. It's a promise. Christians, we, we've got a promise of eternal life. This world is not our home. And we're not going to live eternally in this world. So as bad as it is, or can be, or will be, we have a promise of eternal life. Authentic Christians who are abiding in Christ, verse 27, are anointed by the Spirit. This is important. I know Baptists get nervous when you talk about the Holy Spirit and anointing and unction and things like that. We shouldn't because they're biblical terms. But he says, but, drawing a contrast, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you and you need not that any man should teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you all things and is truth and is no lie, even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. The child of God that's abiding in Christ, those of us who are truly born again, this, this sounds, if you've never heard this before, it sounds a little supernatural because it is supernatural. And it's not something that, once again, Baptists like to talk about too much. And some of our friends have given us, given us reason not to talk about it. But the Bible teaches that those of us who are born again have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and I won't spend time here, some other denominations, other opinions kind of scare us away from it. And there may be some manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we don't agree with, that I don't agree with. I'll speak for myself, I'm not speaking for y'all, that I don't agree with. But... We cannot deny the biblical truth that the Holy Spirit of God, the old timers used to say, come up, come and took up an abode within us. They use that phrase because Jesus taught in John 14 that the Holy Spirit would come and will come unto him and make our abode with him. That sounds kind of like abide, doesn't it? That he's going to remain in us, with us. And yeah, there's, a, there's gifts of the Holy Spirit, as far as I'll take it. But all of us ought to agree, biblically, all born-again Christians, but the anointing that's within us teaches us truth from a lie. Last week, I quoted someone else, and they said we had a built-in lie detector. Believers, authentic Christians, know the truth, not because we're just so smart, and not even because we can quote a lot of scripture, although we should be able to, but because the Holy Spirit of God has taken up an abode within us to where when we hear garbage, we know it's garbage. When we hear someone say something that's non-biblical about Jesus, our lie detector test goes off. And I go so far to say, I might not have a verse for it, 
but the Holy Spirit sometimes starts making noise inside of me saying, that ain't true, that ain't true, that ain't true. He said, well, that sounds a little mystical. No, it sounds biblical to me. That's what he says. We're anointed. We have an unction is what he says in another text. In John chapter 16, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you in all truth. Now, the conspiracy theory side of me sometimes intermingles the Holy Spirit, and I shouldn't be doing that. So don't you do that and blame it on the Holy Spirit. You watch the news, you're like, that ain't true. The Holy Spirit told me different. No, it applies to biblical truths and principles. That's just your gut or your instincts or your DNA or whatever it is. No, biblically, the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth. He says, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Good Southern Baptist or just Baptist, whoever you are in here today, we are a Southern Baptist church. You might be visiting the one. I don't know. We should never underestimate the truth and the power of a believer filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I said this last week, and it's important to make sure we don't forget it, that this principle and this truth, this anointing, even contextually in this text, is not independent of the Word of God. It applies to the word of God. Spurgeon said this, listen to this Spurgeon quote, unless the Holy Ghost blesses the word, we who, have, we who preach the gospel are of all men most miserable. For we have attempted a task that is impossible. We have entered on a sphere where nothing but the supernatural will ever avail. If the Holy Spirit does not renew the hearts of our hearers, we cannot do it. If the Holy Ghost does not regenerate them, we cannot. If he does not send the truth home into their souls, we might as well speak into the ear of a corpse. I trust that if you're a believer today, you have experienced in hearing the gospel what was just talked about. And I know my experience. And I know my testimony, and I've said it almost jokingly that I have no idea what was being preached that day. But I was sitting kind of at the back with a group of people just like me, goofy 10, 12-year-olds, and the Holy Spirit of God started teaching me the truth, confirming in my heart the truth of what was being taught. Confirming in my heart, you're lost and you need to be saved. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God is necessary to convict you, to draw you to Christ. And I believe the word of God ought to be preached, ought to be taught as absolute truth so that the Holy Spirit of God can use the word of God to illuminate 
into your heart and your mind the truth of God's word. I'd like to think I'm good, but I can't convince you that this is true. You may think you're good, but you can't convince your friend this is true. If you convince your friend this is true and your friend makes a decision based on your convincing, I've got questions about their salvation. The Holy Spirit of God does the convincing, does the convicting. And here we see the believer is anointed by the Spirit. And the last thing we look at in verse 28 is that those of us who are authentic Christians, abiding in Christ, are not ashamed, will not be ashamed at his return. And now, little children, that's all of us. Don't we feel like God's little children today? Don't you feel like God's little children today? Aren't you part of the family of God? Aren't you a child of the king? Everybody good with that? My little children, here's the command, here's the exhortation, abide in him. I'm just a little old me preaching to a whole lot of yous. But I want you to hear what I'm saying. God's desire is for us to abide in him. God's plan is for the born-again Christian to abide in him, to remain in him, to continue in him. Because one day, y'all ready for this? He's coming back. Why, why are you standing here gazing at him going up? This same Jesus one day is coming back. The reality of verse 28 is that when he returns, and Jesus talks about twos, and Scripture talks about twos, and two types of people all through Scripture, there's only two people on this planet. The lost person and the saved person. There's two paths. The broad that leads to destruction or the narrow that leads to everlasting life. And when he comes, according to verse 28, there's going to be two types of people. This is serious business, church. He's coming. I don't know when, but he's coming. He's coming back. When Jesus was promised the first time, they didn't know how, and when he came, they were surprised at how he came. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, as in the days of Noah, and we all want to hear a good prophetic message on the days of Noah. I'm going to tell you, the important thing about the days of Noah was not so much all that was going on but it was the condition of the people. They had been promised, they had been, they had been preached to for 120 years from the, the word of God. It's gonna rain, it's gonna flood, and God's gonna destroy this earth. Where you get that from, Noah? God told me. Where do, you, where do you get all that from, preacher? God told us. Well, I've never seen it before. I ain't either. But he told me it was going to happen. 
And they rejected the message, many of them, because they had never seen it before and they just couldn't believe it. Y'all following? Nobody's ever seen anything like Jesus coming back again. But we're preaching it because God said it. Can you prove it to me? Can't prove it's going to rain. Never seen any before. Nope, can't prove it to you. But I can preach it to you. And he's going to come again. And as in the days of Noah, there will be people who are in the ark and not ashamed. But just like they were people when the drops began to fall. Can you, can you picture that? Can you picture the thousands of people who were mocking the preacher of God, mocking the words of God, questioning God? Rain, flood, prove it to me. And when the first drop fell, can you imagine their reaction? So when he comes, there'll be those who have confidence and are not ashamed. There will be two types of people when he comes. Church, this is as fact as I can preach it. There'll be those who are confident and there'll be those who are ashamed. The word ashamed is not like you can hide. The word ashamed is to shrink in shame. And all I can say is that God teaches Jesus is coming back. Are you confident or will you be ashamed? The believer who knows and is secure and has the joy of the Lord and they know that they know that they know we know he's coming. It's going to change the world but we're confident that we're ready. But there are people in this room and there are people in rooms of churches all over this country this morning that if he comes back you won't be ready and you'll be ashamed and you'll have to shrink in the reverential fear of God and his judgment. And it's too late. It's too late. Today's the day of salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, I believe your word. And I've done my best to preach your word as absolute truth. I pray your Holy Spirit convicts hearts today. God, that true believers have the confidence of knowing they're born again, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and that we remain true and faithful to your word. God, again, I pray if there's a, a man or woman here today, maybe they've professed Christianity, maybe they've joined every church in town. Maybe they've been baptized multiple times, but they know 
and they've been convicted by your Holy Spirit that they're not born again. They're not abiding in you. They're not remaining in your word. And God, today you've illuminated their mind to the reality, their heart to the reality that they need to be saved. They need to, by faith, trust in Jesus for their salvation. I pray they would do that today. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.